it's hard to identify it as rape when it's not a stranger. And there's this con there's this culture in, you know, society that says if if you were dating him or if you knew him or if you, you know, you were, you know, mar married to him like like it's not rape. That's kind of this the the how at least I I felt like I was told and so yeah I think I think that really prohibited my ability to see clearly that was Allie Owen and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette episode 119 welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette that's me the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human I'm so glad that you're joining me today. Can I take a quick minute to say some mushy thank you stuff? Thank you for listening to this show. Thank you for valuing honest conversations. Thank you for being open to hearing from guests whose life experiences and opinions might be different from your own. And thanks for the more tangible stuff as well, for taking two minutes to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Seriously, it's such a huge help in spreading the word and helping new people to find us. So thank you so much for taking a second and doing that. And thank you, of course, for supporting and funding the show on Patreon. This is truly a community-funded podcast now, which means that we have complete freedom to come together with more honesty than ever before. I have such a wonderful guest to introduce you to today, but first, in case you're new to this show, I want to just take a second to explain what we do here. At the heart of it, my guests and I are really committed to one simple and powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I certainly don't have any magic bullet, 10-day, six-step life hack plans for anything. So if that's what you're looking for, sorry, I don't have all of the capital A answers. Um, as a recovering self-help junkie, I'm actually pretty over that approach. And my guess is that maybe you are too, and that that's why you're here. So yeah, that's not what this show is about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists activists, and many others, and we dive deep into meaningful topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. This is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way, even when it's uncomfortable. So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and will always be free, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. You've probably heard me say this before, but I seriously do believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And when you help to fund this show, you're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the vast majority of whom are women. So when you support this show, you're saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off-limits due to fear or shame. This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And as a thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series where I share my real life in real time. And you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for new Real Talk Live events. 
So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Allie Owen. Allie is a self-awareness storyteller and life coach. A recovering people pleaser, she's learned to let go of society's expectations and step into her true self, and she's since been on a mission to help others do the same. On her podcast, Aligned and Alive, she shares stories of her own personal development as well as interviews with others who have carved their own path and defined success on their own terms. Her upcoming book, A Mindful Recipe for Joy, will be published in May 2018. In this episode, Allie talks honestly and openly about so many things, money, therapy, meditation, and the work she's done to build a healthy marriage with her husband. She also shares the deeply personal story of her experience with acquaintance rape at age 22, and she goes into detail about why it took her so long to call it rape, how owning what happened to her helped in her healing, and why it's so important not to let yourself get trapped in shame and self-blame. Allie is such a thoughtful, interesting woman, and this conversation is definitely one of my favorites. I'm just so grateful for her vulnerability, as well as the universal truths and lessons that she's learned and was so willing to share. I hope that you get as much from this episode as I did. All of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are rolling. Allie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Where do I want to start? Um, tell me one of the things that you're most looking forward to this year. Ooh, um, I'm quitting my job, <laughs> which is awesome. And I'm going on a road trip around the U.S. with my husband. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Are you guys doing the like live out of a van style or what's the road trip sort of plan look like? Yeah, we're just going to live out of our Prius and just backpack and camp and bum around to friends' houses and see where it takes us. We don't really have a designated plan, but we love hiking and being outdoors. So definitely getting outdoors as much as possible. It's so exciting. So you don't have like a set, we're going here and then here and then here. No, we're trying to keep it more relaxed. Tell me about the conversation that led to you guys deciding to do this. Well, it's been years in the planning because we've been saving. We're both engineers full time and we make really high salaries, but we just have never really inflated our lifestyle. Like we see a lot of other people because we just don't feel like that brings us joy. What we spend our money on is experiences and that's what really makes us happy. And so, yeah, we've been, that's been one of our core values, like ever since we started dating. And so we've just saved all this money and now we're, we're just like ready. It's really scary (laughs) because we're both leaving six figure jobs um, but we, we've saved a lot and we've prepared mentally for the, the entrepreneurial journey and yeah, we're, we're ready. Mm, I'm excited for you. I know that later on, we're going to probably talk more about sort of your career, career trajectory. I definitely have questions about sort of the lead up to deciding to walk away from something that's high earning, right. And like more secure. But, um, in the meantime, what's the strangest or most random job you've ever had? Ooh, that's a good one. I worked at a summer camp cleaning toilets after my senior year of college or of high school. It was really gross. <laughs> that's so specific. Was it? I mean, I'm assuming were you like cleaning other things too, or like I was also doing dishes and just basically any grunt work that the camp staff didn't want to do. And I also wasn't getting paid. Like I just got to live there. So 
it was like an, a lesson in how be, being a servant. And it was very interesting. It's <laughs> funny. I, um, so obviously it was like a sleepaway camp, right? Like not a day camp. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. Did you go to camp as a kid? No, I didn't. I just saw this and it was like, it's for women and it was like in community. And I thought this would be a really awesome experience. And really like, cause we all did it together. It was all, there were five of us girls that just graduated high school and we bonded so much because that's all we could do. Like we were so bored in our jobs and they were disgusting and it was, but I think it taught me a lot about what's important in life too. Just the relationships that you have with people and that really do, you know, I'm not above any job either. I'm, mm-hmm. I think it taught me a lot about that. Yeah. That's so interesting. I'm trying to think, what was I, you said that right after you graduated high school, that was when mm-hmm. what was mm-hmm. I doing right after I graduated high school. Um, Right after, after the summer after junior year, I was a telemarketer (laughs) for this. I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast before. I think maybe once or twice um, that uh, I worked for this like real shady company that it didn't really come out how shady it was until like towards the end and people's checks started bouncing. And eventually when I stopped going to that job, it was, I don't know, three days later that the whole building was like surrounded in police tape. I'm like, okay, this is definitely some kind of a front for something really sketchy. Um, But yeah, we sold basically like ink and uh, like for like stuff for cash registers, like the, the tape, like the paper or what I just, clearly I wasn't a very yeah, good at like it. Office, I don't even remember, like but like the, office things. Yeah. You're like cold calling like subways and asking for general managers and like trying to sell them like register tape over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that taught you some good skills though, that, you know, maybe you're using now. I, don't know. <laughs> I know. Let's draw the line between being a 17 year old telemarketer for a shady illegal operation and having a podcast. It is, yeah. <laughs> I guess there is some talking to strangers involved. So. Mm-hmm. It's true. And, you know, you can follow your intuition now when you feel a little shadiness. You're like, oh, wait, maybe yeah. I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. Oh, man, that was such a funny situation. The guy that owned the company was basically stoned all the time and would come in barefoot and, you know, in these like tie dye shirts. Like he was almost a caricature person. And he would randomly give us these quizzes on his favorite movies where he would say, OK, go home and watch Blazing Saddles. And, you know, tomorrow, you know, we're going to do a little thing for a prize. And the prize was always like like two or three hundred bucks in cash. Like he would just like randomly what? pull out of his pocket if you answered enough questions right about Blazing Saddles. <laughs> God. Yeah. Anyway. That is a really big prize. Right? I mean, I guess yeah. it was all illegal money, so what does he care? Um, it's not even his. Not even his. Um, so drop me into your real life. How would you spend the first hour of your day today? Ooh. So my husband and I, we got up and we worked out, which was pretty surprising, actually, because we haven't worked out in a while. Um, but we worked out in our garage, and then we made some – eggs and spinach and had some tea and then we made a list of what things we're going to sell and what things we're going to keep and what things we're going to store since we're going to move in the Prius so we're like trying to figure out if it'll all fit (laughs) oh yeah trying to decide what to do with all your stuff yeah yeah we have a house and we're going to sell our house too so we have a house full of changes Mm mm-hmm is there anything that's been a sticking point of you guys don't agree on whether to get rid of it or not get rid of it? Like what's been sort of hard in the downsizing process? Nothing really. We're both just like ready to get rid of it all. <laughs> I think it, I'm burn it all down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be most sad about my bed because it's so comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, definitely relate to that from long distance backpacking. And then you come home mm-hmm. and you're like, this is the most, co- what is this perfect like marshmallow cloud situation? <laughs> yes, exactly. And you going from like, 
will we'll be an air mattress sometimes. And then those little camping or backpacking pads are not comfortable. It's yeah, just sure not you know. comfortable. It's, you yeah. know, you can get as, as comfortable as possible. It's funny. I have a friend who, um, like sleeps better on trail than in like really? hotels or in regular life. I'm like, I don't understand that. I basically don't yeah. sleep on trail. I'm awake the whole time. And then I go into town and sleep for 10 or 12 hours. And that like gets <laughs> me through the next stretch, but maybe we'll see. Maybe this year will be the year that I learned to actually be able to sleep in the outside. <laughs> yeah. I haven't been able to find a comfortable position on that. Like, I feel like I still am sleeping on the floor, even when I'm on a pad. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it's cold. You're laying in like a little like nylon envelope in the middle of nowhere. Like, <laughs> yeah. All things just nonsense. Oh man, that's funny. It it's um, funny that we choose to do that. A hundred percent. I can't even tell you with the, the time. I feel like when you're out there and you're doing like backpacking or trekking, I know you've done sort of a lot of outdoorsy things too, um, that it's such a different world that the time that I can least relate to why I would ever choose to do that is when I'm at home and I wake up in the middle of the night and I have to go to the bathroom and like, you Mm -hmm. just get out of your bed and you don't have to put on additional clothes and you don't have to put on shoes and it's warm and you just can go and there's a toilet and then you get back in bed. Like it's such an ordeal to when I have to pee in the tent, like the amount of mental gymnastics I have to do to get myself to, okay, get out of the sleeping bag, be freezing, unzip the thing, put the shit like I have a really funny story about that actually okay I'm listening (laughs) so whenever I I whenever I graduated grad school I wanted to climb Kilimanjaro in Tanzania and so I went to Africa by myself I was like I'm gonna do it signed up and as we were you know I had that mental because we were we were at at summit base camp and we were getting ready to hike to summit the next day and I had to pee in the middle of the night. And I was like, I'm not getting out. Like, it's freezing out there. I'm just not going to do it. And so I had a Ziploc bag in my um, in my pack from, you know, just things, having things in there. And I just peed inside my Ziploc bag. And the other campgrounds, the other tents around me, like, heard my pee coming out. And they were like, they were, they were just joking with me about it. They were like, what is that noise? Like, it sounds like a rushing river. And I was like, oh, that's just my pee. <laughs> and then the next day, um, we were like packing up camp. We had, we had summited and we were coming back down. And we, we were packing up camp. And I still had that Ziploc bag in my in my tent. And it ended up like spilling all over <laughs> the tent. It was, it was horrible. That's amazing. I've heard a similar story from other women too. That's like, I peed in this thing or I peed in an empty like potato chip bag. And then it spilled everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny yeah. too. It's like, sort of the conversation this came up a lot when I hiked the Arizona trail last year this concept of that I would tell myself of like just all I need to do is be brave for 20 seconds like in any situation like just get out of your sleeping bag put the shoes on like go outside because if you just do it you're back in the sleeping bag in under two minutes and like the amount of time that you spend just like waffling about it right or like even like the all the things you have to go through to pee in the in the um bag bag. like just get out of the it's like hilarious the situations that we put ourselves in and just like to lay there uncomfortable having to pee because I don't know. I feel like that could be some kind of, right. A hundred percent. That could be some kind of like, I don't know, like, uh, analogy for other things in life. I think like just do it. (laughs) Just 20 seconds of bravery and then you're good. I think about that all the time. Yeah. Um, you've done some other big mountain climbs too, right? We did Whitney. That was our other big one, which was a horrible idea because we did it in one day. Cause that was the only, the permit that we could get. And I, we both weren't really trained very well and we made it up to the top and we got there, but, uh, I was like, 
had altitude sickness and coming down, I was vomiting. My husband had to carry my poop. And that, that was before we were married. So I think it was like a little bit of a test. Also. Oh, yeah, because you have to pack everything out from Whitney. <laughs> yeah, you had to pack everything out. And like I couldn't, I was so weak, I couldn't even carry my backpack. And so he was like carrying our backpacks. And I was like, you're carrying my poop. Like, this is so romantic. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's not like he was carrying it in his bare hands, but. <laughs> no, no, no. It sounds way more dramatic than it was. But. Right. It's not like, here, honey, I'm going to poop in your hands. Please carry this down this mountain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I I would love to know the situation that would lead up to that being necessary. <laughs> yeah, that would that would take a lot of. I don't know how when that would be necessary. I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> your road trip might be full of adventures. You can come back and let us know. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, I am hiking the PCT this year, and or that's my plan. Going to try to do that. And when you're filling out the long distance permit, you sort of have to check the box of if you're going to do the side trip up Whitney because the long distance permit gives you like you can go up and down in a day, right? Like it gives you the one day thing. Um, so I'm excited to do that. And my hope, and from other people that I've talked to, is at that point you're so fit that the the one day thing is not a deal. Oh yeah. I'm sure you will be. Yeah. It will probably be super easy for you. The there's 99, I think 99 switchbacks. That's like the hard, the hard part. But then once you get to the top of the switchbacks, you still have like three miles. That's what I think killed me was they were like, everyone was like, Oh, it's just 99 switchbacks. And then you're like there, but no, you get to 99 switchbacks and you're at like 13,000 feet. And then you still have three miles at 13,000 feet, which is hard. Yeah. I'm, I am a little bit worried about the altitude. I mean, not just there, but in the high Sierra section of the, of the PCT in general that, um, cause I went on the Arizona trail. I think the highest that it got was like nine, a little over 9,000 feet. And okay. I felt that, I mean, I wasn't sick, but I definitely had, you know, pretty bad headaches and pretty, you know, and uh, I don't know. So I'm interested to see how apparently I'm a delicate flower when it comes to that type of thing. So we'll see. Hopefully I don't get sick. I'm definitely a delicate flower. My, my husband was so annoying. Whenever we got to the top of Whitney, this guy was running down and my husband was like, I could probably run right now. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> I was like vomiting. So you're like, like how I about like, instead you carry my poop? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so I know that you guys don't have any specific plans for the road trip, but is there anything like this, like a particular hike or a climb or something that you're like, oh, we definitely want to do, you know, X, Y, Z things if we can. We want to check out the Appalachian Trail. Definitely. I know. Me too. That's on my list. Yeah. Anywhere yeah. in particular? No, we haven't even really researched it enough to know. Okay. I'll be interested to see where you wind up going. Yeah, that's, I mean, basically I want to hike all the things. So all the things, everything just, is on the list. Everything, yeah. And people are like, oh, what do you want? I'm like, all of it. Just if it exists, it's on my list, all of it. <laughs> I feel you there. Yeah, we want to go up to Canada too. Mm-hmm. Get some things that we're just like going for, whatever, wherever. We don't have any permits. So some stuff that you're gonna have to get permits for is going to be. Do you have a set amount of time that you've planned to take off? We have until November and then we're going to camp or not camp, but like park out at my husband's mom house, moving back in with his mom. Um, (laughs) And because she lives in Colorado outside of Aspen and we're going to ski and snowboard for this whole season. Nice. So So have you, I mean, obviously I'm sure you've thought about like what comes after this. Is this like Mm -hmm. you're planning on going back to the careers that you have or what's that thought? We are not planning on going back. We, so we have saved about four years of expenses. Wow. That's impressive. we We can get by without making any income in our side businesses for four years, but hopefully we will have gen- start generating more income. So my husband has a, a paleo and keto baked goods company that he is working on. And then I have my life coaching business. And so okay. working on those simultaneously. 
but it's been hard to really build while we're working full time. Yeah, so we're I mean, excited. That's to a lot. Sure. Okay, wait. So yeah. let's dig into this actually. So you mentioned that um, you're an engineer, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So uh, I'm just, I'm always curious when people make big changes, especially I think it's almost cliche at this point, people who are like, I left my, not that I'm saying this like at you, but I left my, you know, whatever job and started this thing online. And now I make six figures online or, you know, like there's such like sort of a, I don't know, there's like a story around that. And people are not often willing to talk about like the real sort of specifics of the lead up. Like the fact even that you just mentioned, yeah, we prioritize saving four years of expense, right? Like that's, that's huge. Like the ability to be able to do that. So I'm just kind of interested in hearing like some of the practical details of what made this transition possible. Cause uh, you know, when, uh, or I guess, so first, yeah. First question, when did you know for sure that you wanted to leave this career? So I've known from the beginning, I think okay. in, like day one, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I chose this career because my dad suggested it to me that, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was good at math. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to do this. And I, you know, my dad was like, you'll make great money. And he was right. You know, I made great money and it gave me a lot of opportunity. So I'm so thankful for, for it completely and for his, his guidance. But I really, it never was what I'm gifted at and what I, what makes me come alive. It was always just like, uh, like I have to do this today, you know, and and so I think from the beginning, I was always trying to plan my way out of this job. And I couldn't, and I, you know, we're both very practical, realistic, like numbers people. And so we were trying to calculate like how long would it take for us to reach early retirement? So basically how long we would work until we'd never have to work again. And depending on our savings rate, and our savings rate was 70%. Wow, that's high. It was really high, yeah. yeah. But we... We also had, we, we bought a house and we rented out all the rooms in our house. And so we weren't even paying a mortgage. So it was, it was easy in that sense um, to save money. And so, yeah, we, we wanted to reach this idea of early retirement. And we realized uh, about three years ago that we could work until we were 33. And then at a savings rate of 70%, we could quit and never have to work again and maintain our current lifestyle. But then we were like, um, we don't want to wait that long because <laughs> we were 25 at the time. So that would be seven, seven years, so eight years. And uh, we were like, how can we speed this up faster so we can actually in, enjoy our life and, and live the life that we want right now or live it faster than than waiting until we're 33? And so we started looking into entrepreneurship and what we're really digging into what we were really passionate about. And that was great about having a job and being able to start a business while I'm still secure is that I don't have to make money right now. I can figure out and he can figure out what, what he's really passionate about and what makes him come alive and pursue that. And so that was, that was the progression. And we, I, I started writing and writing about, um, sexual trauma, which we'll talk about I'm sure. Um, but writing my story and r- really getting it all out and fleshing it out. And I found, I just loved doing that. And I, I loved helping other, other women to release that shame that, and that oppression that had been holding them, like it held me for so long. And that just was like, I built, built on himself, built on itself. I started, um, 
coaching women and now I'm starting a podcast and just started gaining my voice and gaining my confidence. And now I'm like, I, we're definitely not at a place like in, in either of our businesses where we are anywhere near, you know, I'm, I make like 500 bucks a month in my business. And so we're not in a, at a place where we are actually replacing our income. Um, but I, we have gained the confidence in ourselves and in our purpose. And in we have that runway too, where we feel like, okay, if we just were able to donate or donate our whole time full time to this, we could actually grow it. And we feel like we can do it now. Yeah. There's that so much, no, no, no. There's so much good stuff in that. Like that this idea, and I'm, I'm always so grateful when people are willing to talk about like the financial side of things, because it's, uh, it's, I mean, your story is different from mine, but similar in that, you know, when I started the podcast, my partner makes more money than I do. And I was able to not have it make money right away. Right. We kind of sit, sit, sat down and we're like, okay, you know, this is the time period in which like, this is going to be an experiment and going to try. And there's like this whole thing of like, just follow your heart, just do it. Right. Like, I think so much of that is, not helpful, right? This like can yeah. often be a lot of bullshit that it takes time to build something and it takes time mm-hmm. for something to become profitable and having the the financial freedom to build something with integrity and build something the way that you want and not feel like you have your back against the wall that it has to all of a sudden like make you know a big full-time income. Um, I wish that more people were willing to talk about that because I think that our stories are pretty common, right? When you start a side business, like it's not going to make money right away. It's, you know, what you said, $500 a month or whatever it is, even that takes time to get to, right? I look at Mm -hmm. the trajectory for me of how long it took to have this even be a feasible part-time job, right? And now it's looking at, okay, well, what comes next and all all that type of stuff. But yeah, this idea that it takes time to grow these side businesses. And I just think that there is such a story that we're sold of like, not that it Mm -hmm. happens overnight, but like that it seems to be more, not quite as messy as it is in real life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's like clickbait. It's so easy to look at something and be like, oh my gosh, they did it overnight. Like that's, that could happen for me. And I think that really limits people too, because then when they try it and it doesn't happen overnight, they're like, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. Like some, you know, some, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm just meant to be in my boring job that I hate. And I absolutely don't think that is it. I think we are all meant to follow our passions and we, 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 I think the story that we are told that it happens overnight is really damaging and limiting to people actually doing what they love in yeah, a lot of ways. I think so too. So you, I want to go back to when you were mentioning the 70% savings rate. I mm-hmm. I mean, I could geek out on money stuff all the time, but this is something that I'm thinking about too. Like what's the potential for early retirement? What could that look like if our savings rate mm-hmm. you know, is 30% versus 40% versus 50%, you know, all doing all those calculations. I find that type of stuff really fun. And obviously it sounds like you and your husband both have like pretty high paying jobs. Um, mm-hmm. that, so of course I, that makes it easier, right. To yeah. save more money. But it's, I mean, I don't know that I've ever, especially in like our age range necessarily met someone else or that's, that has that high of a savings rate. So can you talk about some of the specific things that you guys did or choices that you made to get up to saving 70% of your income? Totally. I love talking about this. I mean, me too. All I want to do is talk about sex and money, basically. It's like all I ever want. <laughs> me too. So We're this is totally basically the, the entire episode of actually what yeah. we're already talking about. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> okay. So my husband and I, whenever we started dating, we were very, you're very typical millennials. So we started, I'm going to just say how much money we made because it's, I'm, I, we don't care. I'm made I make $100,000. My husband makes like 150. And so we started out of college making that, which is a ridiculous amount of money for anyone. And we went from a 
from college where we were making nothing and we were living scrimply and we, we were going into these really high paying jobs and just like immediately we were like, Oh, let's go out to eat. And our lifestyles, we saw it starting to inflate. We were going to Vegas. We were, you know, spending, I, I was spending $300 a month on clothes. Like this was the first couple of months of our relationship. And then once we started getting more serious and actually like looking at our finances, my husband was always, he's, even though he, whenever we started dating, he had a $300 bar budget. <laughs> Even though he had that, he was still like had a budget for it. <laughs> so I guess that was good. Um, but yeah, so he was, he's always, he grew up very frugally. And so we started getting into these blogs called Mr. Money Mustache. Oh my God. You know? I, I, I was wondering <laughs> if you were going to go say that just by the way you talk about savings rate, I was like, she's also someone who reads Mr. Money Mustache. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I love Mr. Running Mustache. I love Frugal Woods. And I just, I love all the personal finance bloggers who are early retirement. And so we started reading that in early 2015. And we were like, oh my gosh, like, what can we do with this? My husband works 12 hour days. And I was feeling really bored in my job. I was hating being glued to my desk. And so we, my husband started running some numbers and seeing with our salaries what we can do to potentially retire early. And so that's when he, he's a huge spreadsheet geek. So he built this spreadsheet and we actually have a personal finance blog. So (laughs) he started that on the side and yeah, we, we were just like feeling really empowered by taking control of our finances. And then we realized as we were eliminating our bar budget, our eating out budget, our, excessive ridiculous like travel budget that we were like none of these things really brought us joy like these were what we were doing because everyone else was doing it and it's not actually aligned with our values and what we want out of our lives so once we realized that like it became a lot easier to continue living a frugal and kind of minimalist lifestyle like I haven't really bought clothes in two years I mean I got we got married so I bought my wedding dress but yeah we like those things just that you're told bring you joy. They, they're just temporary joys that for, to us, that's what we found. I mean, everyone's individualistic, but yeah, we just found that we would rather spend, save our money so that we can experience the life that we want rather than spend it on, on things. Yeah. I mean, something that you said before that I think is really relatable is this idea of your lifestyle expanding and inflating as your income does that, you know, because I remember during really, really frugal periods of my life, like I wasn't miserable. I somehow made that work. And then as you make more money, it's really easy to just keep spending it (laughs) and being able to take that pause and be like, wait, hang on. Like you said, are these things even bringing me joy? And am I willing to, you know, get rid of some of this stuff that everyone else is spending money on in order to, you know, either save it or, you know, use it for something else? Yeah. And it actually, it was, it was easy for us to make those choices, but it was hard for other people to accept because we had kind of had this friend group who was used to us doing all these things with them. And then we, we were just like, no, we're not going to do them anymore. And I think that was a little, that was probably the hardest part to navigate was other people's expectations of you. And like, we don't do Christmas gifts anymore and we don't do, you know, birthday gifts. And, um, so people struggle with that, but I try to bridge that by making like 
a card and, you know, a really heartfelt card um, that I think mean that means more to me than, you know, something I'm just going to that's just going to end up in a landfill fill someday. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I, I can relate to a lot of that, too. That's something I my husband and I don't really get each other gifts. We don't. And it's any of these things like once you start talking about money and spending, I think it's really easy for people to get defensive about stuff, because if someone's saying, oh, I don't do, you know, X, that means that, you know, you shouldn't either. And I feel like that's the exact opposite of what's true with this type of stuff. We in the Patreon community have been having an interesting conversation about money lately. Um, just and people are being really open. You know, this is how much I make. This is how much debt I have. These are my questions. Yeah. This is what I wish other people would answer. And there's we're really just sort of like talking about it as a group, which has been interesting. And um, one of the the members of the community posed this question because I had asked under the umbrella term of money, like what specifically do you wish people were more open and honest about? And um, this person said, uh, posed the question of, I wish people, you know, would talk about what they consciously don't spend money on and meaning like it's easy to see oh someone's on Instagram and they went on this vacation and how are they able to make that happen and you know maybe the answer is that they are just really wealthy right but I think oftentimes it's well they don't spend they consciously don't spend on this 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 and this right and so it like made me start to think about what are some things that I consciously don't spend money on that other people probably do and like you mentioned clothes like that was it for me I bought I think when I sat down to make the list, I bought three articles of clothing in 2017. One was a formal dress for a wedding that now like this is going to be the dress I wear to any wedding for the next however long. So anyone who gets married, I have this dress that I'm wearing. Um, and I had to buy something to wear after the Arizona trail. Cause I was staying um, in Tucson with my mom and I had no clothes. Right. So we like went to Walmart and I bought like some pajama pants or whatever. And, um, like it was interesting. I'm like, Oh yeah, there were times in my life where like you said, just kind of like buying clothes every month or doing like, I don't spend money on clothes. Really. I don't spend money on alcohol cause I don't drink. Right. So it's like, just yeah. like going through these couple of things that, Oh, huh. I actually could spend quite a bit of money on those things. Totally. Yeah. I, I think that's really awesome that you're having that conversation with people because, yeah, I, I, I've struggled with, with sharing our salary and our savings rate too, because I feel I don't want to come at it from a place like I realize we're very privileged and like, I don't want to come at it from a place like you can't do this if, you know, unless you make this salary or, you know, unless you, like we were obviously came from parents who, um, helped us through school. And it's like, we, we were very, very privileged and like, I totally, under like realize and respect that um but there are also things that that we we don't do that that enables us to be able to live this life and um that that is that is typical of of what everyone else is doing yeah i mean i think and even watching the conversation unfold in the community there's a huge range of you know income debt of who had help from you know their families who didn't all of those different things and what i'm seeing that i'm finding to be really comforting and empowering is like people just telling what's true for them. It's not, I I did this and you can too. Or, you know, if you, exactly what you're saying, well, you have to have this high income to, you know, it's, it's not any of that. It's basically just, here's what's true for me. Here's what I prioritize spending money on. Here's how much debt I have. Here's the help I got from my family. And it's like just the sharing. I feel like that takes away so much sort of like shame and weird feelings. And because yeah, definitely you are in a privileged situation for sure. So am I. 
And yeah. also there are plenty of folks that would be in your same situation that aren't making the choices that you're making. And so hearing about how you guys made it possible, even, you know, when you said buying a house and renting out all the rooms, like that's not something that a lot of people would do. So I find it interesting, even if, you know, maybe I can't relate to a, the same salary as you, it's still interesting to hear how you've thought about, you know, how to spend the money that you do have. Absolutely. And that I think that is what is inspiring to people is when you hear, oh, someone else did it. And, you know, they did it on their terms. But like, how can I apply, you know, some lessons or some some things that they did with their life and make it my own? And, you know, we're not saying you have to you have to do this one thing to reach your goal, because obviously everyone's goals are going to be different too. like not everyone wants to quit their job and travel. A lot of people just want to have money to go on a vacation every year or, um, do, you know, spend, go visit their mom or, you know, just, just little things. So yeah, I think that that's really important to remember is that it's all personal and individual and there's not one path anyone should Mm -hmm. take. Yeah. I also find it comforting just to be reminded of all of the different situations and circumstances that people are in. Anytime that people start telling the truth, you see there's a lot of commonalities, but there's also a lot of diversity and that that's good too. It's just helpful to remember you have no idea what situation anyone else is in, right? Like other people probably experience different stuff from you and just to kind of talk about that. So yeah, I don't know as we're having this conversation in the community, I'm like, man, there's so much good content here. I don't know what that's going to look like in terms of maybe putting together a special season or special episode where it's just, you know, a round table type of thing where a bunch of people are being honest about the same subject. Or I don't know. I have a couple ideas that yeah. I think would be like potentially really fun to do. And also I find like this kind of stuff can be really healing. Just hearing someone else say, you know, this is how much consumer debt I have. These are the mistakes that I feel like I made. This is, you know, what I was doing to correct it. Now I'm living paycheck to paycheck or that you know, just hearing people talk about that. So I'm grateful that you were willing totally. to go into it a little. Yeah, there's a lot of shame that comes with money too, just like sex. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, people are embarrassed and, you know, going back to what we talked about talked about earlier about entrepreneurs like showing this lavish life on the internet, like look what I can do, like I can travel the world and, you know, I like you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Like they could be in loads of debt and and that's that that's hard when they don't show that because they're trying to make money off of you that that really bothers me yeah i agree completely (laughs) something that i'm putting together for the community is a completely transparent financial breakdown of just even how the podcasts works like this is how much i make per season this is like the different expenses this is how much i pay this is you know sort of the range of pledge amounts these are my goals even just because i said hey are you guys interested in this and everyone was like yes (laughs) even just that it's not that i have any kind of secret and i'm certainly not making that much money but it's being able to it's interesting for me to put it down and to see like all the numbers together and all the different things and why I made some of the choices that I made and just here's the work that goes into it and here's how many hours it takes and here's mm-hmm. what I'm essentially making per hour. And yeah, so in the next, I mean, I guess by the time that this airs, um, I will have already shared that with the community, but it's fun to even just like work on that. And I feel like it's just, ah, this is going to sound so silly and cliche, but empowering to tell the truth. Mm, it so is. Yeah, it is. And I, my husband and I are going to do something similar. Whenever we quit, we're going to start sharing exactly how much we're spending every month on our travels and exactly how much we're bringing in on the businesses. And I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's so, I don't know why we don't talk about this because it's not, I mean, it's not embarrassing. It's like, I think it's, I think it's the shame that, and, and that it's not a common 
topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I feel like the thi- it's it's interesting and almost funny how the things that are the most prevalent in our everyday lives, obviously we keep talking about like sex and money, right? The things that in some capacity, whether it's the absence of, the desire for, the desire not for, like it touches everyone's everyday life. And yet that's yeah. the stuff that we're like not willing to, I feel like so much of it comes down to, I've been thinking a lot lately, sort of as like a recovering self-help junkie that like the commonality with everything is we just want to know that we're okay. Like everyone just wants to know that they're okay. And the more something touches your everyday life, like money, like sex, you know, potentially body image stuff. That's something you deal with every day. It's like the shame of talking about it is, well, what if I'm doing things wrong? What if I'm not okay? Right. That like the secrecy is like almost trying to protect yourself or I don't know. I think about that a lot. Yeah, that is so, that is so true. It's, I think it's, it's, maybe it's protecting yourself from from feeling like you don't have it all figured out and i i think that that none of us really have it all figured out i mean i know i don't like i we're still very scared about quitting our jobs and and you know we've we've planned for it and we're ready mentally but i i don't i don't think anyone will ever could ever say like yeah I figured it out right right I mean if so (laughs) give me all your secrets but yeah seriously yeah so (laughs) going back to sort of what I said before this idea of it being empowering to tell your truth I know that that's um like a, a part of your larger story in general. And so switching, you mentioned briefly before um, that one of the things that you had wanted to talk about was sexual trauma. And I'm really grateful that you're willing to share your story or however much of your story that you feel comfortable with. Because I, I feel like, again, this is something that isn't, I mean, it's definitely being talked about a lot more publicly now. I think we're in you know a time where people are sharing more and more. But I guess to sort of, if we're going to get into that topic, what I'd love to do is just kind of give you the floor to share the story of what happened in whatever way that feels most comfortable for you. And then we can talk more about it from there. Yeah, totally. So I, whenever I was 17, I had a very intense religious conversion experience. So I became a Christian. And it with that came this expectation of remaining vir- a virgin until you get married and with that also came the the shame kind of placed on you if you were to have sex and um i just you were kind of, in my mind i had thought i wouldn't be worthy of a a husband that loves me unless i'm a virgin and i came from divorced parents. Both my parents have been divorced twice. And having a healthy marriage was like everything that I wanted because I had never seen it. And I, and I knew how painful it was to, to see my parents divorce and to experience that as a child. And so I really put that on a pedestal, like having a great marriage. And then I equated being a virgin with the, having, that's the way to it. And so whenever I graduated college, I was 22 and I was still a virgin and I just wanted to travel. I had never really been outside the U.S. and I had always wanted to speak Spanish. And so I moved down to South America and I volunteered at a school teaching English. And um, I met this person and he was an American and we started dating and... I had told him I wasn't ready to have sex. I wasn't ready to have sex. Like I wasn't. And, um, he ended up raping me and it took me, 
it took me a long time to admit to myself that it was rape though, because I had tried to put the, the blame on myself. And I tried to carry that because I, you know, I thought I had been drinking, like he was planning on staying at another house that night, but he couldn't get in for some reason. And so he ended up having to stay with me. And then I was like, um, that made me feel like that was somehow my fault. And, uh, yeah. And then he ended up giving me an STD, which was horrible to deal with in a foreign country. And like, after, after he raped me that, that one time, he never talked to me really again after that. And that was just like, so devastating that, that I would be losing my virginity in this capacity. And, and I think that also is what took me a long time to admit that it was rape because I tried to convince myself in my mind that it was better than, or like it, it was a situation that I did have agency and that I did, you know, I did want, I was like trying to, to make it better in my mind. And I didn't want to own it because if I had admitted that it was rape, that would be almost more shame than if I had just had sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, after, after that, I ended up like sleeping with some other guys because I was just like, Oh, well, you know, it's just, I'm just exploring. Like, it's just my, my life. I pretty much walked away from the church and I couldn't, I couldn't go back because of just the shame that I felt every time I would go and I would just like have these clenched fists and I would just be like, so angry. Um, and so that ended or (laughs) I ended up sleeping with a couple other guys in there and I, and some like, those were all my choice. And I felt like I was gaining my agency back, which was really great. Um, and then I started dating my husband. Um, he was my boyfriend at the time, obviously. And I was just like shocked because that he was so dead. Like he, he thought I was like worthy of love and he, he, was like so dedicated to us and I tried breaking up with him twice because I was like no like men are men are just trying to get sex like that's all you're trying to do you know you're you're probably sleeping with other women and um, he just like kept pursuing me and and loving me and and coming back to me which um, really broke down a lot of my walls and I decided I to go to therapy because I knew I needed to actually face what had happened and own it and um, not let it subconsciously define me anymore, which is what I had been doing. And even though I, I didn't even realize that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I went, I went through therapy and in therapy was the first time that she called it rape. And I was that just like, I was like, wow. So I, I'm not the only, like, I knew that was wrong, but I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know how to describe it or, you know, I, I think just from how society, like, it's all always like, what is she wearing? Like I had just taken all that on my, on right, myself. Rape culture, yeah, yeah. 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 That I couldn't even identify that it was rape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that was something that I definitely wanted to ask you more about this idea of sort of picking apart why that you, why you think it took so long to call it rape. Yeah. I actually read an amazing book. Anyone who 
who's going through this. It's called Why I Never Called It Rape. And it was written in like the late 80s, early 90s. And it was basically talking about how it's really hard for women. And it shares a lot of personal stories of women who who have been raped by people that they knew or people that they were dating. And there's it seems it's hard to identify it as rape when it's not a stranger. And there's this con there's this culture in, you know, society that says if if you were dating him or if you knew him or if you, you know you were you know mar married to him like like it's not rape that's kind of this the the how at least I I felt like I was told and so yeah I think I think that really prohibited my ability to see clearly plus it's just like so shame inducing that you can't like look like I didn't even want to look back at that night. Like I was just like, I don't want to reopen that wound. Like it's over. I'm past it. Um, like it's it's the shame of having to to re re feel it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so I'm I'm honored and like I said, really grateful that you're willing to talk about this because it's definitely not an easy thing to talk about and. I think what you said earlier about um, sort of falling into uh, self-blame, right? Like this was my fault because I, I often wonder if sometimes when we do that, that it's some kind of self-preservation thing that it's like, if I, it's, it's almost like, what am I trying to say? Like false empowerment, like false self-empowerment of like, well, if I believe that these are the mistakes that I made and that this was my fault, then as long as I don't make those mistakes again, that this thing isn't going to happen to me again. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And I think there's an element too of like, like being, so when you think of a rape victim is in culture, like we think of like a hooded guy in a parking lot, like violently grabbing you and, um, you know, throwing you in the bathroom. Like that's what our society tells us is, is rape, but rape is, is not black and white. I don't, I mean, it's, I, I no, I don't want to say that. <laughs> it is black and white, but it's not, um, it's not like, like stranger. I think stranger rape is all that is depicted in culture. And yeah. I know what you mean when you're saying black and white, you're not saying that, uh, or what I'm taking from what you're saying is that excuse me, when we're given a really narrow definition of this is what something is, then anything yeah. that doesn't fit that really specific, it's, I mean, the parallel that I can draw to this from my own life, which of course is not the same as what you're saying, but of like this specific element of it is like when I think about alcohol, right? That it's like, this is what alcoholism looks like. It looks like, you know, you wake up in the gutter after a multi-day bender and you've like fucked over your whole family and you get a DUI and you know, like we have these really specific things of this is what it looks like to have a problem with alcohol. And anything yeah. that's not that is like probably mostly fine or maybe you're sort of exaggerating or maybe like, and I think the same is true for mental illness, right? Like de yeah. like severe depression looks like a suicide attempt and, and, and not that those things aren't to be taken seriously, of course, but there's so many other degrees right on the spectrum that are really? still incredibly painful and problematic and just because it, your experience wasn't you know hooded man in alley or you know whatever we're mm -hmm. told doesn't mean that it's not rape and, and I just I think that sort of gray area in there is where a lot of the 
self-blame happens when your narrative doesn't fit into this like really tight constraint of what we've been told qualifies as, you know, severe enough to get help for. Like the the like we're told that you can only get help for substance abuse, for, you know, sexual trauma, for, you know, uh, mental health if it's reached this like apex of the most traumatic thing, you know what I mean? Totally. And there's there's a stigma too with like taking that label on yourself that I think is a lot of reason why we try to justify in our minds like, oh, you know, I'm not this minor, this narrow definition of it. So that's not me. And I don't have to carry that with me. You know, like I, I don't fit that definition of being a rape victim. And so I don't have to like, there, there's a stigma with being a rape victim in the, in society too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I think, Yeah. So you mentioned going through therapy or going to therapy and working Mm -hmm. through this. And so when you say that you learned to own this story, this thing that happened sort of as, as part of a way of healing, can you Mm -hmm. describe what that actually means? Like, what does it look for you look like, or what did it look like then and now to own this story? It meant being okay with sitting with, with defining it as rape and, coming to peace with the fact that it happened. And that took re I had to, with my therapist, I recounted every single detail of the night. And then she helped me to re replay it in my mind as an outsider, like looking at what was happening to this girl and when I was able to step away from my own feelings from it and look at it from an outside perspective, I was, my whole mindset about it shifted. Like I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I felt so much compassion and love for her that I was like, wow. Like I went, like I am allowed to, to place the blame on him and I am allowed to, to, to call it rape and i i am allowed to to own that that has affected me and to see i mean i've now that i've owned it i've seen in my life since then how my struggles with worthiness has come from that and how that plays out in my life mhm yeah, well, and I've seen that you talk about that too, or, you know, write about it and talk about it, this idea of, you know, in the interim period between when this happened and when you were able to sort of own your story and everything that you just started talking about, this idea of trying to build self-worth through external accomplishments. Will you talk about that a little bit? Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, I went in straight into a master's in an engineering degree, which I wasn't passionate about, but I just wanted to prove to myself that I was smart and that I was worthy. And I, and I traveled a lot because I wanted to check these things off my list and I wanted to appear like I had it all together. Like, like people would be commenting on my photos, like, Oh my gosh, like your life is what I want. Like, you know, and, and, and it was, it felt like, like I was just trying to, to prove to everyone else that I was fine and that I was, that I am, that I am worthy of love. I also lost a lot of weight in that time too. 
trying to like prove myself beautiful and you know prove myself worthy of a husband and uh, it's just it was a lot of effort mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah the, these sort of games that we play uh, to try to prove that we're like you said either worthy of love or that we're enough or that we're more yeah. than that you know that you're more than the worst thing that ever happened to you right that yeah. like that type of thing and it's yeah i think that that even if someone hasn't been through you know your exact set of circumstances i think that that's very relatable this you know sort of striving for well you know if i earn this degree or i get this job or i can like put you know pictures from this vacation you know where i have the like perfect looking family or like all of these things that again going back to what we were saying that we like, just want to know that we're okay right that yeah. these are the mm-hmm. things it's like we try to prove I feel like it's, it seems maybe like we're trying to prove it to other people, but I think the heart of it is that we're trying to prove it to ourselves. <laughs> that like, yes. like, look, yep. look, I'm worthy. Look, I'm smart. Look, I'm like, it's just, yeah. and that, not to say don't pursue things, but there's really a difference between pursuing something that is intrinsically valuable to you and actually meaningful versus trying to, you know, just, I don't know, like search for some kind of validation. Hmm. Yeah, that is so true. And I think, I noticed also in myself, like people pleasing, it was a, like I was trying to make everyone happy. And I think a lot of women relate to that. Like we try to make sure everyone has, you know, everyone likes us and everyone, you know, knows we love them. And it's like, it's, I mean, it's a word, like it's a noble thing to care and love for people, but when it's coming from a place of we need to be told we are doing this because we don't feel we are worthy of love. And so we are trying to receive external validation from other people. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So in this sort of, you know, going down the rabbit hole of, of people pleasing and trying to, you know, gather all of these external accomplishments, do you feel like you hit a, like a specific breaking point? Like what was, cause obviously you have this sort of introspective retrospective clarity, right? But yeah. what was the point? Was there a point where you were like, I just can't do this anymore. Was there like an inciting incident? Yes. Yeah, it was definitely my husband and I like meeting and starting to get more serious. And I have a lot of fears about having a failure of a marriage. And so I was like, I need to, probably coming also from worthiness wounds. <laughs> I need to completely like make sure I'm so ready for this and have healed from a lot of my past. And um, yeah, so I started going to therapy on my own. And then when we got engaged, we started going to therapy together. And I think his his love for me helped me to love myself. And I, I know a lot of people say like, you have to love yourself before you're ready for a partner. And I think, you know, that is obviously coming from a really great place that people, you know, want to um, fully love and accept themselves. But I think we're also just like messy people. And I am not going to fully love myself every day, even now. Like, you know, and, and so when, you know, your partner can love you, even when you're a mess and don't have it all together, there's something like beautiful there, too. 
Yeah, I also think that that's really honest because, of course, that is the general wisdom of, you know, until you love yourself, you can't be with someone else or whatever. Yeah, I think that's it's true and not true. Like it's it's true and also Mm -hmm. not that easy, right? That it's, you know, if you're searching for, you know, a romantic or sexual partner to like give you belief that you don't have or it's sort of like another external validation, right? Where it's like, well, if I just have this person, then I'm going to feel better. Like that's, I think, somewhere on the spectrum. But what you're speaking to, I think, is really relatable. And I don't even think it has to be a romantic relationship. It can be friendships. It can be there's something that's very empowering about essentially unconditional love or that kind of support or the person who like sees you as better than you see yourself because it raises the bar to a place that then like you can strive to meet that. And yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that that's completely relatable. Something else from what you just said that I want to underscore, you know, that you were going to therapy on your own that the two of you decided to go as a couple. Like I think with sort of the Disney princess fairy tale look at marriage, right. Which Mm -hmm. I think is, has like seeped into so many different cultural things of the way that we think about, um, you know, at least what marriage, you know, conventionally is that it just sort of happens. And like what you're speaking to, I love so much because it's this idea that being healthy takes work. Right. And like Mm -hmm. that healing isn't something that just happens where like, okay, all of a sudden you're healed and you never have to do the work ever again. Like, I just think that that's so unrealistic. And especially with what you shared before with your parents, like, how do you, if you want to have a healthy marriage, but that hasn't been modeled for you, like, it's it's not just going to magically happen. I think that's true for everything. It's true for the way that we care for ourselves. It's true for our relationships with money. Like, if that's never been modeled for you, it's going to take work in order to even figure out what that looks like. And I don't know, I really respect your willingness to to do that, to be like, it's not just like, I met this person and he loved me and everything was perfect. Like, it's like yeah. a both and. Like, you can really love each other and the relationship can be strong. And also, like, that's awesome to go to therapy together. Mm-hmm. And it still it still can be strong and it still can be messy too. I think the this idea that, you know, marriage is this all like, you know, you'll get married and then all your problems will be solved. It's like, no, you get married and you have more problems then. <laughs> because, you know, then you you're you're with this person for your life and and you have to work together through all these hard choices and life is hard and um i think it's if anyone is getting married or thinking about getting married i think therapy before marriage is so helpful just to set up the the habits of like it's okay to seek help it's okay to do the work and to make sure that both partners are on board for doing the work too Yeah. I mean, and even I think when you get into the idea of something like marriage, that's such an institution and has so much cultural Mm -hmm. and religious, just like baggage, right? Yeah. I think that it's easy. We all just assume that we know what marriage is and what it means and what it looks like because of the things that we've been fed about it, that it almost seems like not worthwhile to define that for yourself, but it's like what you're speaking to or kind of like what I'm getting from what you're saying is this idea that like, if you're choosing to get married and sure this could be extrapolated out to, I think a lot of different types of commitments that it's worth like pushing the pause button and saying, okay, what is like marriage even mean to me? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. Like, how would I, what do I want from this? Because it's might what works for one couple is probably totally different than what works for another couple. And it's like taking the time to define that for yourselves, I think, and like put language to that is really important. Totally. That is so, so important to work through that. And just like get your values on the same page. I think what I'm going back to finances, like what is important financially? I mean, I know so many couples who are getting married and they don't even know what their husband has or is doing with his money. And I, 
I understand it's scary to talk about. Like, I totally get that. But I mean, when you're in a marriage, like, it's all vulnerability. Like, mm-hmm. it's all all the time. And so, like, get used to flexing those vulnerability muscles and sharing the things that that make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and also sort of as, like, a thing to just add on to that that I think echoes what we were talking about before. For example, in a partnership, if, you know – what am I trying to say? With like with the financial stuff, there is I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. You don't no. have to share finances. You don't have to like it's not about whether your you know what your partner does with their money. It's is that what you guys have agreed upon, right? That you're going to keep things separate. Yep. That you're going to it's like figuring out you know, it's, and that's been interesting as in, like I mentioned that the conversation we're having in the Patreon community, you know, one of the big topics is dealing with finances when you're in a partnership, right? And even just, I'd say the five or six people who have shared their stories and experiences with that, it's really interesting how they're super different. You know, some people have mm-hmm. regular financial meetings. Some people, like for me with example, I'm basically in charge of the money in our house and it's just something I really love doing and my husband does not love doing and we have meetings about it, but like we have a system that works for us and we keep like all money is basically shared. We, you know, versus some people, they have separate accounts. Some people pay some bills and not like there's no, it's, that's what's so nice about honesty. There's no right or wrong way to do it, but it's like what you're saying, being willing to be vulnerable and to even have the conversation that's going to lead to you guys setting up a system and then reevaluating that. Like, Mm-hmm. A marriage might need more support at some time. I mean, maybe you go into therapy for a short period of time to get through like a hard thing or to, it's like, it's all just, <laughs> yeah. It's all just vulnerability. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. It is. And yeah, I totally echo what you're saying. Like it, it's not saying that this is, I'm not saying that this is the the only way you can do your finances right as if you both share, but it's just getting on the same page about what what you're going to do as a couple and is really important. Yeah. So speaking of communication as a couple, and it's totally fine if you don't feel comfortable answering this, but I am curious to know, especially because it was the relationship with him that seems like it was a catalyst for you to go into therapy that then wound up, you know, sort of healing from the sexual trauma. How did that play into your, the, your sexual relationship with this partner? Meaning like, I'm, yeah, I don't even know specifically what I'm asking, but I would assume that there was some communication there and things you have to work through to get to, you know, the whatever the sort of healthy sexual relationship is that you guys want. Yeah, no, totally. That's a really good question. Because as I was going through therapy and I was re- reliving all of this in my mind, like sex was really scary for me and I was having like flashbacks, you know, while him and I were having sex, I would be like, you know, if he was in a certain position, I would be like, we have to stop. Like, I can't do it right now. And having that openness and that trust is, is something that I really appreciate about our relationship is that like, he was like, of course, like, you know, he was like, we'll stop, you know? And it's, it's, um, it's something that requires like, a lot of bravery too, like 20 seconds of bravery, like you were saying before, um, because it is scary when, when I do love him and I do want his approval, but I also have to honor what I'm going through and what, what is, and, and he, he wants me to honor that too. And he respects me in honoring that. And so for those few couple months, uh, while I was going through that, we were just very communicative while, um, while we were having sex, you know, if, if I, if something happened, like I would just tell him and then, you know, we would stop or, um, that just built 
so much trust in our sexual relationship that like now I, I don't struggle with it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, like I've, I haven't had a flashback in years and um, I, there's just like that, that level of that we've been through that. And I, now I can fully open myself up, which has just made sex so much better (laughs) too. Um, because I'd been so closed off and afraid. Isn't it interesting how the answer to basically everything is just honest communication? (laughs) We don't want that to like, we want something that's simpler and potentially, you know, like a sexier answer, but it's like that. It just always is the answer. (laughs) It's so true. And it's it's so hard. (laughs) I know. I know. And that's why we want anything else to be the answer. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you mentioned you know, that some, a lot of what you had to move through was, you know, the self-blame, which you talked about, and then also shame. Can you yeah. share a little bit about, was there anything that specific that helped you to sort of let go of shame and regret and essentially forgive yourself? I think I've heard you use that language before. Yeah. I think sharing it really helped me a lot to release the shame because once it became something more than than just something I was holding on to inside then I was and I was able to share it with other people and with close I started sharing it with loved ones and people who I really trusted and once I was able to do that like it kind of took the power away from the situation that it used to have over me and it became some like the story to me now doesn't evoke a lot of emotions because it's, it's just a story to me. And I think getting to that place, I share, I've shared it a lot. I've shared it on the internet (laughs) with thousands of people. And, um, it's, it's still, it was, it was really scary. The first time I shared it on the internet, I was horribly terrified. Um, but through that, I received so many messages from people I knew in, in other parts of my life or people that I don't know that were just like, your story is so much like mine, like this, you know, you speaking light into this horrible situation and has brought me so much light and clarity. And so, yeah, I think the shame came off as I started openly sharing about it. Mm -hmm. And being able to connect with people who um, can say, me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is that something yeah. that you're looking for or open to? Like if someone's listening and feels that like a resonance with your story, would you want people to reach out to you? Yes, please. I would love that. I would absolutely love to hear your story or not, <laughs> whatever you feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, I would absolutely like love just to connect with you and know that, that me sharing my story is, is more than just me speaking into a microphone in my closet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Set the scene for us. I'm sitting in my closet. That's so funny. I love it. You know, something that you just spoke to then that I know came up earlier, but I think it's important to bring it up again, that I think a lot of the, the what makes honesty and telling our stories 
empowering and powerful is again, this idea of this one thing does not define me, whether that's this thing that happened to me, you know, like in your case, or whether it's this mistake that I made, right? And I can definitely have examples from that in my past, like particularly with drinking, there's some stuff that I did that I'm really like aggressively not proud of. And like you said, that didn't want to face or deal with or, you know, whatever for so long, because there's this fear that, you know, as soon as I acknowledge this and give this light, then all of a sudden, you know, I become, this defines me, right? Like all I am is the person who like did this shitty thing. And not to say like giving yourself a free pass, and this is more about my story than like something happening to you, like what you shared, but it's not about like giving yourself a free pass for like doing shit things, but realizing that people make mistakes and that like, at any given time, like we are so much more than the worst thing we've ever done or that the worst thing that has happened to us. And that there's a way to both like move past the things that happen to you and, you know, acknowledge and take responsibility for the things that you've done. And also to like move beyond that, just because you tell your story doesn't mean that that one story becomes all of who you are. It's so true. And we, I think we create that in our mind that, but when we look at other people and they share a story of, of struggle or something hard that they went through, we don't look at them and see that one story as their whole definition of their lives. But when we look at ourselves, for some reason, we blow it up into being the summation of our entire identity or our entire character. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, yeah, that's such a good point. And that brings up for me, the reminder that actually the more things that we're willing to be honest about, the clearer Mm -hmm. picture we can get of how like messy and wonderful and well-rounded people are, right? That it's like, oh, I'm a person who struggled with alcohol and, you know, hurt this person by being unfaithful and graduated college with honors and started a business like that it's all true right that it's like the things that the mistakes that you made the things that you're not proud of the things that have happened to you um the best things you've ever done like the proudest you've ever felt and like the more that i think that we are willing to talk about not just one area of our lives right that Mm -hmm. then we start to realize like just sort of like how messy and complex and awesome people are totally yeah and i think that going back to like the the rape victim stigma that I, I didn't want to identify with is because I did feel like I was winning in a lot of aspects of my life. And I think that a lot of women, we actually uh, tried to start a retreat for women who have experienced sexual trauma, but were high functioning now and no one signed up. And I think we we decided, we think it was because there's this me too movement, which is great. Like women are owning their stories, but there's also this not me movement. Like, like that didn't happen to me. So I'm, and, and I'm a successful high performing woman who have, who have accomplished all of these things. And, and I'm going to ignore that happened to me because, because it's so, it feels like once you get that identity of rape victim that that is all consuming and that's all people will look at you and think. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think, I think part of that fear is, is real. I mean, it comes from the stigma comes from somewhere, right? Like we like, it's not like just one person made that up. Like it's the stigma is really real. So it's like, yeah. it's being able to acknowledge that that's, that is a well-founded fear and also that it's, you know, worth sharing anyway, in as much as it feels safe and comfortable, you know, for each individual person to sort of, yeah, work through that. Mm-hmm. It's true. And there is power that comes with sharing your story also, because whenever you you sh- you share it, I think every time I share it, I feel like like it's it it takes the power. It continues to take the power away from the situation that it had over me. And I can 
And it's okay. Like we, we can be multifaceted individuals and we can have these horrible things happen or we can make these poor choices. And like, it's just, it's life. Like Mm -hmm. we're, and it's not like good or bad. And I, and I, I look at even my, my rape and I'm like, I've come to the point where I'm like thankful that it happened, which has been really like hard to come to that point. But I don't think I would have become the person I am today had I not gone through that horrible experience. I mean, that, that a lot of people say that, you know, we're with different yeah. types of, you know, hardships that they face. Yeah. I think that that's yeah. common. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been able to forgive the man who raped me and being able to do that has just brought so much freedom and, and peace. And yeah, I think, you know, if, if one of your listeners out there is like had something happen in their life and is like, doesn't want to admit that it happened, it's really, it's really worth looking into and and seeking out therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That. Everybody go to therapy. <laughs> That's how I feel. So the last <laughs> thing reach that, out to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The last thing that I wanted to ask you about this topic specifically, you mentioned sort of the role that religion played for this for mm-hmm. you. Um, have yeah. you found your way back to the church or what are your sort of thoughts about your, I don't know, like faith, spiritual practice right now? Totally. So I, I am still a Christian. It's taken a really long time and I wouldn't, I really struggled for many years actually going to church because I felt this faith connection with God and I knew that I'm spiritual and that I, I, I love God and I can't, and, and I can't look back on my life. Like I, I, and, and see like my past without like some divine interference. And so for me, it took doing all that work on, myself and my past and coming to the place where where I forgave the church and I forgave um the people who pro- projected this this even more shame onto me and I I still don't agree with everything that the church stands for um and so I still battle it out with some people <laughs> there like not <laughs> lovingly of yeah course. sure <laughs> um because i i think god is love and god is is within us all and there isn't one way to define him and that bothers me with a lot of of religion i i don't like religion but I love God. So mm-hmm. that's where I'm, where I'm at right now. Yeah, I hear you. Well, something else that I know is a part of your life is meditation, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Can you describe your meditation practice? This is something that I find that um, I'm often getting questions um, from people whenever the, the subject comes up in the community of like, what are things that you want people to talk about more? And a couple of people have said, I want to know how, you know, the not like Buddhist monk, like the regular person has meditation a part of their life. So can you talk about that? Totally. So I, I do this meditation nine, that's only nine minutes a day. And the first three minutes, I just focus on my breath. And as I, as I think other thoughts, I just let them be. And if, you know, something comes up, I try to bring myself back to my breath. And then in the middle three minutes, I focus on gratitude. And I just think of specific feelings. I try to specifically really feel grateful by thinking of specific, like, I'm so thankful that my husband made me a cup of tea this morning because it made me feel like really loved and honored or just very like small things. 
And then the last three minutes, I try to focus on um, the feelings and the vision that I want to feel for the day. And so lately, I feel like I've been very distracted with just everything. And so I've been really focusing on being focused and present and like in tune with with where my day is going. And so, yeah, that that's that's what my meditation practice looks like. Um, it's I do it pretty much every day. Some days it doesn't happen. Um, but I've just found just so much more like like peace throughout the day. Like I just know what I'm so like I, I just I've set the tone for the day and um, it just comes so much more easily mm-hmm. to me. Well, so that um, the nine minutes that you mentioned, you know, the sort of the three mm-hmm. segments of three, is that like a, a guided meditation that you found or is this something that you created? Do you use some kind of a timer? Like how does that work? Yeah. So I use insight timer in, in the app. There is a little timer that you can set like little um, dings every three minutes. And so it'll just ding. And yeah, I kind of created that myself based on other people's meditations. I I started just doing guided meditations and I found those kind of distracting for me. And so that's where I started doing the timer. And then I was like, well, I, I heard some more people segmenting it and I was like, that sounds like something I would want to do. So I've, I've stuck to this. So for probably like six months now. Okay. Is it something that you do like first thing in the morning? Do you sit on your bedroom floor? Like I think with something like building a new habit or a meditation, I I think sometimes it's the specifics that people are like, that take make it difficult to build that. Like basically like what helped you to build the habit and like, what does it actually look like? I always get out of bed because if I stay in bed, I will fall back to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's real. I hear you. Yes. (laughs) And then I'll say I'm meditating as I'm sleeping. I always have done that before. Um, <laughs> and so I always like do something like I'll make my tea and then I'll go and sit on the couch and do it then. Um, so it's not right when I wake up, but it's usually within the first 30 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. So for someone who's maybe interested in like meditation or playing around with it or trying to build the habit, do you have any tips, like especially for people who might not feel very like spiritual or woo woo, like on how to I- integrate meditation? Yeah, so I love Insight Timer. The app is awesome. Also, Headspace. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that. That I started. Pro- I probably started my meditation journey with that app. Just that there's a free 10 day trial, and that helped me to understand what meditation is. Because I think it's hard when you're coming into it. You you're just like I'm just supposed to sit there and like not think about anything and focus on my breath. But like then you feel like a failure when you start thinking about things. But it's so, I mean, I, I, I think maybe like people who are meditating for 40 years, they have a completely still mind. But I definitely know I don't have a completely still mind. And there are some days when I am like a squirrel, like while I'm meditating, like thinking from thought to thought. And so just be really gentle on yourself and don't expect you to have it perfect or you know yeah I mean but and I think that's one of the fears like fear of doing it wrong or like I'm not yeah. good at meditation right because again we live in this like <laughs> culture that's so sort of productivity oriented and like it's I have to remind myself this meditation all the time like it's the doing it that's the point it's not the being mm-hmm. good at it right <laughs> it's so true and it's it's really the consistency that I think makes it meaningful in your life because I know when I've just done it every now and then I felt 
I haven't felt the effects as much as when I've done it consistently. Yeah. Something else that I think about, not just with meditation, but in general, um, I feel like there's a a greater conversation going on, um, especially in the last like year or so about self-care, right? I feel like that's like Mm -hmm. a buzzword that's been used a lot and that I think it's really easy to sort of have this misconception of self-care as like, I mean, it has to be like a massage or something that's like really nice for yourself. And I think about this in terms of meditation because even at times when I've been able to build that habit and I kind of come in and out of it that I never really love it. Like I'm not like excited to do it necessarily. I I do notice that there's a benefit from doing it. And so it's kind of like having to have that conversation with myself of like, what I mean, self-care, what if it's like more broad than just doing, like there's a difference between self-care and self-indulgence. I don't know if I'm being articulate about mm. this, but, and they're both yeah. necessary, but like sometimes the, like the best thing that I could do to care for myself often is going to be something that maybe I don't want to do. Does that sound weird? Does that make sense? No, that makes total sense. I mean, I think going to a therapist is self-care. Yeah. Oh my God. Even though though sometimes it's terrible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even if you cry the whole time and you know, uh, you feel horrible after like that is self-care. And I think, yeah, this, this idea that self-care is just like bubble baths and like manicures and um, face masks is it's kind of damaging to what self-care actually is. Mm-hmm. Right. This idea that like, if you're caring for yourself the same way you would care for anyone or anything else, that's like, it's basically at the heart of it is doing what is like necessary for like the best love and growth and support of that person. And if that person's you, it's like the things often that you need might not necessarily be what you want. I don't know. It's like, I, I just think about that too, that like, it's like indulgence is great and also really necessary. But yeah. the, it, if I'm being really honest, it's like a lot of times the things that are going to wind up nurturing me the most often do require like the 20 seconds of bravery. <laughs> Totally. And I love how you cha- like classified it as self-indulgence versus self-care because that is that is so true. Mm-hmm. So I know that we've covered a bunch of different topics, but other than what we've talked about today, what's one thing that you wish that people were more open and honest about? What do you find yourself being curious about? I wish people were were more open about how they really how things really make them feel. Because I think a lot of things we just do because everyone else is doing it. And that's kind of what my my new podcast is going to be about, just aligning yourself with the true you and letting go of what society or other people expect from you. Because I think once we really lean into how we feel about certain things or certain people or, you know, our jobs, and we really own how we feel about that like that has the power to unleash who we truly are underneath it all Mm -hmm. I also think I'm I'm really interested for your podcast and to see what comes from it because I think this again is one of those topics that like is easy to sort of have be surface level and cliche like identify your values align your life with your values but like what the fuck does that actually mean right like that it's (laughs) like you know being true to yourself like all of this stuff like it's so like it can be so like self-helpy like buzzwords that are kind of vague and don't mean anything but it's like so yeah I'm really interested in in that conversation as well of like what does that actually look like to be like this specific Mm -hmm. thing like I think about this a lot uh, in like really small ways that I don't really care about 
movies or music that like I had to get to the point of like, I go to the movies like maybe once a year. And that was like when the Harry Potter movies were coming out, right? That it's like, not (laughs) that I don't enjoy movies, but I just don't really care. I don't know who like the new bands are like, like for whatever reason, movies and music, I'm like, eh, so, okay. I'm not going to like focus my attention there. And that's something that I've like was supposed to care about in high school or whatever, you know? And that's, I think a really superficial, like small example, but it's oftentimes I think easier to sort of like lean into yourself and become more you through those small things, right? Then it's like the act of continuing to like turn toward the things that like actually attracts you. And like, if you do that over and over again, eventually I feel like that becomes like a skill and a muscle that's built that then makes it easier to make those decisions about some of the tougher, larger, stickier subjects. Definitely. Yeah. Building that muscle with the small things is so, is, is where it starts. I mean, that's, you have to start somewhere. And I don't think starting at, you know, the biggest thing in your life, like a, a job that, that, you know, you're not sure if you like that would potentially like, that's probably not the place to start. Yeah. Definitely the smaller, the smaller things are, are so much easier to start getting in tune with. Yeah. Because I I think that, I mean, the small things add up, right. And the small things Mm -hmm. become the big things that like, it's, I don't know why all the tiny things are popping into my head right now, but even when I decided like, okay, I'm just not going to wear high heels. I mean, I did for that one wedding that I went to last year and they were like the most comfortable ones I could find. But even that (laughs) it's like, I, I just doesn't bring me joy. I don't find it yeah. comfortable. I work from home alone and like hike. So basically I get real person dressed like once or twice a week. And that means like jeans, right? That like, I just <laughs> don't care. And there's nothing wrong with caring if you actually care, but it's being able right. to be like, this doesn't bring me joy. So I'm not going to do this. And for some people it does, it makes them feel like sexy and awesome. Cool. Yeah. Go for it. But it's like, I think every time I'm willing to just like do that in those small ways, like it does add up. Mm-hmm. You start to it's believe so in yourself more. Yeah. Yeah. Mine started with, I, I used to get my nails done and get my hair done and like get everything waxed. And like <laughs> now I, I've just like thrown, like not thrown it off, but just like realized that that stuff was never, never me. And I was doing that because that's what everyone else was doing. And, you know, some people really get joy out of doing that and find it relaxing. But I've, I always found it like stressful because I had to be at this appointment, you know, for an hour. And I I took that, that took time away from actually doing things I wanted to do and things I was passionate about. And so, yeah, I think the little things can tell you a lot about Mm -hmm. the big things too. You know, but something else that I, I agree with you completely and something else that I want to add that for me personally has been really relevant is because I think the extreme of what we're talking about, like anything at either extreme, right, can be really good or really bad. I think like it can be yeah. twisted. So this idea of like, you know, turning away from like turning towards yourself more, not doing things just out of, you know, societal pressure, if it's like safe and comfortable for that to be a choice that you make. But I feel like the end of the, I went too far to the end of the extreme of, mm-hmm. you know, okay, well then I'm someone who like never wears heels and I'm someone who like doesn't care about makeup or doesn't like yeah. it, it, it can almost become an identity cage of its own that I, I can't, this is, I mean, embarrassing, but I'm going to say it anyway. I spent two, maybe three full therapy sessions last summer, this wedding that I'm talking about that I had to go to of getting to the place where I could allow myself to go to one of those blow dry bars and get my hair blown out for this wedding. It's <laughs> like, it's not the money. Like I would spend $40 on other things, right? Like that it was yeah. just, I felt like I'm a person who doesn't care about this, right? Like I mm-hmm. hike, I'm dirty. Like that. It was almost like I had put those things like caring about how you look or whatever in this like superficial box that I'm not someone who does those things. So it's like, I kind of had to check myself of, yeah, turn away from the things, 
but also it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I can, for the mm-hmm. most part, not enjoy that. And also be someone who's like, fuck yeah, my hair looks great. Like I'm going to do this once in a while. It's like being able to mm-hmm. allow some more fluidity. I don't know how that feels for you, but that was really yeah. relevant for me of not getting like trapped in the identity cage of, you know, the thing that was supposed to be empowering. So true. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think it is it is hard for us to hold paradoxes that seeming seemingly paradoxes in our minds. Like uh, a couple months ago, I was talking about this on on Insta story. I was talking about how we can still be body positive and love our bodies, but also want to be fit and eat healthy and, you know, be in shape. Like this isn't they're they're not mutually exclusive. Like we can hold both of them together at the same time. And, you know, our identity, our identity of being body positive can, can also coexist with our identity of wanting to make healthy and choices for, and, and be in shape and love, you know, those, those two things can coexist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think so much of the things that are important, there always winds up being like a seeming contradiction and you have to be willing to like find a way to live with things that seem like they shouldn't be able to exist together and then find a way for them to exist together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And it's, I think, I mean, just in our society, it's so polarized right now that people aren't sitting with, with two seemingly paradoxical ideas like they're not even allowing themselves to sit with that Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's really important to start flexing that muscle in little things like you know you can be a hiker and you know be in the wilderness for months and also go to the blow dry bar and wear heels yeah 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 and it's just like and and also that what is going to be self-care or what's going to make you feel good in one situation, like might be different from something else. I think about this, even along the lines of what we've been talking about, about how empowering it is to share your story and like be authentic and all of that. Like, and also privacy is awesome, right? Like you can choose to share whatever it is that you want to share. And like, it's, it's not like if I'm going to be someone, I mean, obviously like Real Talk Radio is the name of the show. Like if I'm someone that values honesty and openness, which I definitely do, that doesn't mean that I share everything. And it's not because I'm trying to hide something or whatever. It's just like, you're allowed to keep stuff to yourself. Like you can be honest and also be private. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, sharing your story publicly or you know sharing things publicly comes with think like a lot of stress that might not be for some people and yeah like I love what you said that that you can keep things private and you can also be a public person and you can also share some things but you know there's still things we're all keeping private that Mm -hmm aren't ready for the light yet, or maybe never will be ready. Yeah. And, and, and also this is something else that I'm just starting to think about. So I'm probably not going to be very articulate in explaining (laughs) it, but this, in this idea of the like authenticity, share your truth, you know, whatever that in different situations, I think that privilege plays a role in how safe or not safe it is to share certain things. Like I can be incredibly open about a lot of stuff because I am self-employed. And like I that like that my sort of like losing my livelihood or ability to like feed myself doesn't come down to the wrong person's going to hear this or yeah. you know that it's just it it's I think an area where like the conversation of privilege like, hasn't entered into as much that like it's not safe for everyone to tell the truth all the mm-hmm. time like and so it's again being able to be like okay like nothing can be a 
you know, everyone has to do this. Like everyone has to be so vulnerable. Like that's not always safe or like in certain relationships, like maybe it's not safe to talk about a certain topic and, you know, with one person, but it is with someone else. Okay. You don't have to talk about that with that one person. Yeah, that's so true. It does come down. I mean, we are very privileged to be in a safe enough place in a safe enough country where we can speak our minds and we can speak the truth and, and, and still, you know, there are countries that wouldn't allow women to do this. And so, yeah, honoring our privilege and understanding it is, is really important. Yeah. I mean, and even within, like, like you said, like, the US. The, the, yeah, within you, like, it's just like in any different relationship, like we never know, like what's like, everyone has to make their own decisions based on like, what's, you know, and I use the word safe, like as a broad term, right. That it might not mm-hmm. be emotionally safe to, you know, to, like if talk to someone about a certain thing or whatever, that just that like, that's real also. That's so true. And there were, there were people who I, that I, that I'm like family members that I didn't share my rape story with until it came out like publicly because mm-hmm. I didn't feel safe enough to, or I didn't feel like, like it was that important to share with them. Well, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I get don't, what you're saying. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah. not always appropriate. And I think, yeah, this is yeah. the thing that sort of get lost, gets lost in the sort of obsession with authenticity, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I think that's a good place to start to wrap up. Um, and as you probably know by now, the way that we end these are with some rapid fire questions that basically all eight guests of this season are answering the same seven questions if you're down to answer some random questions. Totally down. Okay. First question. If you had a completely free afternoon next week just for yourself, how would you most love to spend it? Ooh, I would take my dog on a hike and then we would with my husband and then we would cook dinner and I would read and re- it's really boring. <laughs> no, that sounds amazing. That's not- <laughs> Reading and hiking. It's the best day ever. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> I was having this conversation with a friend last night who just reading is not his thing. He's just not into reading. And I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't like, I, it's like my, it's my favorite activity. I mean, again, <laughs> to each their own, of course, but I was like, what would my life even be like if I wasn't reading like five books at a time? <laughs> Oh man. Um, what feels most important to you this year? Alignment, definitely. And that's part of why I named my podcast Aligned and Alive is because I feel like I am finally myself coming into alignment with with the true alley, the true girl underneath all of the outward expectations. Mm-hmm. So I know obviously that you mentioned that you're going to be taking off on this road trip, but um, if you could just quick share um, where you live and then what's one place in your town that you'd really recommend people check out if they travel there, a favorite restaurant, coffee shop, museum, bookstore, park, anything. Ooh, okay. I live in Bakersfield, California, and no one probably knows where that is, but it's in between LA and San Francisco. So if you're ever driving, well, you probably drive on the coast, so you probably wouldn't ever come <laughs> through Bakersfield. But one place that you should check out is um, <laughs> Buck Owens Country Music Hall. <laughs> nice. I'm not a big country music fan, but it's like a Bakersfield landmark. We're known for our country music. And so, yeah, there's the Bakersfield sign right next to it. It's it's really, you know, really just don't stop here. Is the moral of the story. I love it. Um, <laughs> what's working really well in your life right now? Something that feels like it's easy and vibrant and flowing. Ooh, 
my business definitely feels like it's just coming so naturally. Just all these ideas um, are coming to me and they're just flowing. I love it. Actually, that's a good like sidebar tangent because um, I know you've mentioned sort of in passing your coaching and stuff like that, but we haven't really talked about your business. Can you just give kind of like a couple of sentence roundup of what you do and who you work with? Totally. So I work with with women in their 20s and 30s who are looking to come into alignment like I like I did and own their stories and speak their truth and um, step into their amazing power. And so yeah, I work I work one-on-one uh, over Skype and on the on the internet and we just meet twice a month and yeah, I I hear their stories and I um, I coach them and and challenge them and and love them to to step into their power and come alive. Mm, I love that. What's one decision in your past that had you chosen differently, you feel like would have led you down an entirely entirely different path in life, like a fork in the road where if you would have turned left instead of right, that you think everything would be different? So if I hadn't, so I moved my senior year of high school to live with my dad. And I was, I was living in LA at the time with my mom and I moved to Texas to live with my dad. And if I hadn't do, if I hadn't done that, my whole life would be, I'd probably be, I might end up, I, I think I would still end up here, but I would have taken a lot of different paths to get here. Mm-hmm. So the next question is about books, which mm-hmm. two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you recommend or reread most often? Ooh, I'm not a big rereader. I'm kind of a one and done. Okay. Like, once I... Once I do that, but Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle Melton was one of my favorite books. I cried the entire book. And Daring Greatly, Brene Brown, was hugely impactful on my journey to owning my own story. And maybe a third one, let me think. Maybe I'm not a big fiction person. I, I did love the Hunger Games. Yeah. Those are fun. I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm not naturally a fiction person because yeah. I, I, well, it stemmed from sort of the self-help obsession of like the reading had to be productive, right? Like it wasn't okay to just, you know, read for fun. So that was sort of, I had to come around to, it's, yes, it is. It's okay to do stuff just for fun. Like whether it's an indulgence or not, like you can read whatever fiction books you want. Um, but yeah, I hear you. Um, so the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? Mm. Yeah, I would love your listeners to just ask themselves one question about one thing that they do in their life you know, that is a, is consistent and ask themselves how they truly feel about it and journal and th- meditate on it and, and just think about how they truly feel doing that or about maybe it's a sp- specific person or relationship. Mm-hmm. Something that like has become maybe almost like so routine or ingrained in their life mm-hmm. that they don't question it anymore. Taking a step back and be like, okay, how do I feel about this? Why do I do this? Yeah. yeah. That's a great call to action. So what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? I love Instagram. <laughs> um, my Instagram is align with Allie and it's A L L I. And my website is alio.co, so A-L-L-I-O dot C-O. And yeah, those are my my favorite places to hang out. Awesome. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. And if anyone did want to reach out to you one-on-one, is the contact page on your website the best way to do that? Yes, or Instagram, 
either. Okay. Really cool. Awesome. Allie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you, Nicole, for having me. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I wanted to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Paula. Hi, Paula. Hey, how are you? I'm excited to ask you some rapid-fire questions if you're ready. Uh, I am. Okay, so my favorite question, what are you totally obsessed with right now? Yeah, well, two things. One, um, like outdoor gear and stuff, because last year I finally, I've been like on this slope towards... um, getting to like camping and deeper outdoor experiences. And last year we took the big plunge and took a big long camping trip with, um, with an outfitter in Grand Tetons, which just, I was, I just was sort of like, yeah, now I don't care about showers. I don't care about anything. Any of the things that were bothering me before don't bother me. And we did two self-supported trips ourselves. And now I'm out of my mind getting excited about buying gear for this year. Um, and then alternatively, keeping myself amused in the winter by uh, working with someone and doing strength training so that I don't lose my mind. Yeah, I hear you. I'm starting to focus on strength training, too, as sort of like a trying to put together some strong base fitness to go into like serious hike training. But yeah, <laughs> I totally hear you. Um, <laughs> what trips do you have planned this year? Um, it's not sure yet, uh, but we're pondering because we're big kayakers, like intermediate type of folks. But so we're I spying an outfitter trip in the San Juans potentially, which could then lead to spending a few days afterwards hiking in the Cascades, which I would love to do because I have not been to that area. And, um, and I'm like, if we buy gear, we we've always talked about going to the Adirondacks and it's like a little mystery trying to plan a trip up there. I don't know what those people who live up there do. I guess it's like an insider secret, but, um, so we're thinking, well, that would be cool to do where we could use our own gear and try to leverage the major investment we'll make in gear and then try to do some small trips here and do our first backpacking trip because we've never done an overnight in that capacity. So, um, yeah, that's like basically all I think about. That's exciting. Hey, I can relate. <laughs> I'm, what, five months out from starting the PCT, so I completely hear you. Um, what's one thing that you feel like you're seriously kicking ass at so far in 2018? Hmm. Uh Uh-huh. That's a good question. Something I'm seriously kicking ass at is staying committed to um, staying focused on what's like right in front of me that I can control to the best of my ability. And that includes making sure that I get my workouts in because I know inevitably inevitably it will make my mental health better um, as well as to just, I don't know, trying to stay on track with not going down this big, dark, deep, like whole of both midlife conundrum, winter darkness, depression, and, you know, partner job bitchiness and whatnot to try to remember after we had a rough couple years there of um, medical things for her like that. Okay. We got to try to remember to have that gratitude we had sitting in the hospital for weeks on end uh, in everyday life because the little shit is really not all that 
big. Mm, preach. Yeah. And staying present, focusing on the small thing, all the, all the advice we're always given yeah. that why is it so, so hard to follow? <laughs> so whether I'm kicking ass at it or not, I don't know, but it's a significant improvement over what I've done in the past. So hey. I just give myself the kicking ass mode for that. Uh, totally. You get the gold star. <laughs> um, what's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast lately? <laughs> Eggs. Yeah. I've turned into an egg person. Eggs prepared. How? Um, weekdays, scrambled or just up because who has that kind of time weekend I love making omelets oh okay I don't know why I love this question so much but I'm like so fascinated to like think about what other people are doing in the morning and what they're eating and what they're making and yeah (laughs) I'm sure you know that from the regular podcast that I often ask people what the first hour of their day was like I'm just so curious what other people do with their lives yeah Uh, yeah I guess well now I'm professionally curious that's what having a podcast is (laughs) (laughs) I like that um who do you need to write a thank you note to this week if you had to give a gratitude shout out to someone who would it be Hmm. I would probably write a thank you note to uh, a good friend of mine that we were lucky to see not long ago. Um, And just to remind her just all the things that I'm obsessed about and really excited about right now. And like this whole like life changing framework of meditation and things that happened years ago, but that like it was all her support along the way, including taking us to like her family's backwoods place and teaching us how to dig a hole and poop in it so I could get over my self. <laughs> um, but that all those little things that she did for us were such big things. And um, even though we don't get to see her very much now, like I think of her every day and um, huge gratitude for that. I love that. Yeah, I've been thinking about that too. Just gratitude that it's so much easier to think of the things that are maybe present moment, like someone that did something great for you three days ago, which of course, it's great to express gratitude for that too. Yeah, looking back, like you said, the people who, you know, maybe a while ago, even years ago, had a really big impact on something that sort of formed the path that you're currently on. Yeah, I love that. Oh, yeah. And even though we hadn't seen her in a while, like when the call came, where we're like, okay, we're going to try this self-supported thing, come hell or high water, and we got like a week or so to find gear. Like, I knew I could call on her and she would give us gear that we wouldn't die in and that sort of thing. <laughs> hey, not dying. High five. Um, <laughs> last question. What's one thing that you've been wishing that people were more open and honest about? Absolutely. Um, I, I've said this, you know, in a lot of comments in the in the community is like, like money, because, well, partly, because it's, it's part of what I, I do in my business, like looking at this, this stuff being a business owner. But to me, um, I just like the honesty around, well, it takes money to make everything happen. Like even this idea of like, well, do something you love and downsize and whatever, but there's still a logistics that has to happen, unless you're like wandering around eating out of a dumpster and or someone self-funding it. So I wish people would be more honest about the realities of that and debt because we often sit around and go, how do people afford this? And I'm thinking, well, they probably don't. Like at least 90% of them don't. They're just up to their eyeballs in debt. Um, and, and tied with that money would be people's really most honest feelings about, about money and what they're doing or not doing in their life. Because mm-hmm. for me, it's been very intertwined. And, and, and like I said before, we started this uh, rapid fire question with it. Like I'm in this like midlife conundrum. Like I wouldn't call it a crisis, but it's like this big conundrum of like, well, huh. And all the things cost money, even if you keep um, paring it down. And uh, I'm not looking to be like, you know, a popper, but just why, don't, why are we never honest about these things. And I've been in enough masterminds and business building and um, 
you know, other sorts of nonsense with the mega coaches, this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, right. But when you see behind the veil, there's like all kinds of scary things back there really happening, but that's not what the rest of the world is seeing or thinking or feeling bad about themselves because of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I've been loving the sort of honest conversation that we're having in the community about money. Just like people just telling the truth with no sort of judgment has been really incredible. Well, right. And then it's interesting to me to find like where my judgment goes haywire when somebody will make a comment, like, you know, like I guess like I could think of a few specific things and I'm like, well, what, 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 you know, you're just like driving down the road, like a lunatic yelling at the, at the, and they're like, well, or by the end of the episode that comes around, that gets more off, that gets more honest. So you're Mm -hmm. like, like watching a sporting event or something. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So you're a member of the Patreon community, the Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you've made a small and powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season, speaking of money. (laughs) And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show. Yeah, it was... um uh, a couple reasons. Well, first, when I first, I'll be honest, like, since we are talking real, right, when I first discovered the podcast, which I don't even remember how, at first I started listening, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I like it, you know? It was just like that honest, like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I like the host. I don't know if I like the conversations. I don't know if I like this, that, or the other, but there was something that kept bringing me back, right? <laughs> and I'm like, huh. And then I started growing on me and growing on me and growing on me. And so, and then, of course, I fell in love with the damn thing. So I was, I just um, feel like if, if I don't support the things that I really want, and let's face it, I'm, I'm kind of tired of listening to a lot of ads, and I understand there's a different mo- business model for everyone, um, but it's just so great that there's no, there's no ads, there's no, and if I don't put my money behind what matters most to me, then I sure as heck can't sit and complain when it doesn't exist or it goes away or anything like that. And I also love the extra little goodies, like in the community, like the conversations and the book club and all that is just icing on the cake. Oh, well, hey, I'm, I'm glad that I wore you down into liking this podcast. You know how there's things like that are like compelling conversations and they're not always comfortable and you don't always start out being like, oh my gosh, that's just great. I like love it. But it's more like it, it like gets in you. It kind of gets in you like, wait, there's some things maybe I need to consider. I need to look at it myself and my own thinking. So it wasn't really like wearing down. It was more of like when you just expose yourself to other things and then you're like, oh yeah, I like some of these people, some of these people I don't like, but all of it is mind opening and you feel less alone and you feel more like uh, a better perspective on other people in the world because, you know, working from home, like I said, sometimes you miss that. You're like, well, it's Mm -hmm. me and my cats. Doesn't it all work like this? (laughs) Right, right. Totally. No, I was just teasing you. I know it's, and then that's, I appreciate your honesty. I always love hearing sort of other people's experience with my work, of course. And yeah, it's funny. Like if I look at the things that I personally really love, some of it is stuff that I was totally obsessed with right away. And some of the stuff is exactly what you just described where it's almost like sometimes it makes me uncomfortable because it makes me like think a little bit more or it like, put you know, holds a mirror up where I sort of have to deal with my own shit, you know? And like, it's like, I love it, but I don't like it. And then I, yeah, totally. So that's fantastic. Um, and to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and it'll seriously be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.